My next guest is an elected judge in Fort Bend County, Texas. Please welcome the Honorable Judge Tony Wallace. Tony, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Doing fine. I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> well, let's jump right into it. So what do you do? So I am a judge. I um, have the honor of serving as the presiding judge in county court at law number four in Fort Bend County. All right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in November of 2015, you were, you were named as the interim judge. And then uh, you won your election on November 6 in 2018. Right. So, they were for, for two different courts. So, right. And in 2016, I was appointed by unanimous decision by the Fort Bend County Commissioner's Court at the time. Um, and I was appointed to be the inaugural judge for county court at law number five. Right. And that appointment took place in, well, actually, you're right. It was officially, um, was made official in, in November of 2015. And then I was sworn into office on January 1st of 2016, um, making me the first African-American female judge ever appointed to a bench in Fort Bend County. Um, and so that was quite an honor. And I served on that bench for a year. I was basically um, keeping the bench warm for the people who were gonna actually run for the position. And then in November of 2016, they elected uh, the judge for that, for that bench. And so I stepped down in December and then went into private practice actually right after that. And then decided, you know, I really enjoyed being a judge. It was a mm. great job. Right. Um, I saw how impactful judges can be in the community. And so then I decided to um, run for the position in 2018 and so i campaigned um and then i was elected to the bench in county court at law number four in november of 2018. well that's great so can you talk about how that happened like and your basically your feelings when you found out november 10th 2015 uh, you were, you're named as an interim judge as the first african-american judge in fort bend county and then also when you were elected in uh, 2016 you just talk about yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> before I was appointed, I was actually working as a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So I was in the DA's office in Fort Bend County. Um, I started there in 2011. So I had been there for four or five years, had matriculated my way through starting off as a misdemeanor prosecutor. I spent two years as a juvenile prosecutor. Then I was promoted to um, general felony, becoming one of the um, very few African-American felony prosecutors in the DA's office for Fort Bend County. So I was doing good. I was enjoying my job. I loved being a prosecutor, loved everything about it. Um, when I got a phone call and they said, hey, um, Fort Bend County's opening a new court. It'll be open in 2016. Um, it's a county court and you are on the short list of names that they are considering uh, to appoint as the judge. Are you interested? Mm. And I was like, Hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I had as a law school student um, when I was at South Texas College of Law, I had actually clerked for the Honorable Levi Benton in the 215th court in Harris County, which was a district court. And he was a phenomenal judge. Judge Benton was um, very even tempered, very smart. Um, and very knowledgeable and his, his wisdom exuded beyond the bench. And so my time as his law clerk um, really gave me an inside story of what judges do, how they operate. Um, and it really gave me um, what I didn't realize at the time, but it really did give me that motivation to say, you know what, I could actually be a judge. Mm one day. It wasn't something that I was, uh, it was, certainly wasn't on my plan. It wasn't on my radar. Um, I was just really committed to becoming a really good trial lawyer. That's what I love to do. Um, but when they presented me with the opportunity, I thought, hmm, you know, God doesn't do anything by mistake. 
-hmm. or by, by coincidence. There's a reason why um, this opportunity is being presented to me at this particular time. I had been practicing um, for almost 10 years at that point. Okay. So I had spent a lot of time in a lot of courtrooms um, and a lot of depositions and a lot of mediations, um, basically training to become a judge and not really realizing that that's what was going on. Um, but that's why I say God does not put opportunities in your life by coincidence, preparing you. And so he was preparing me uh, throughout my tenure as a trial lawyer uh, to be a judge, being in different courtrooms and seeing what kind of judges um, and how they ruled in their courtrooms, what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, so when I got that phone call in 2015 and I said, yes, I, please consider me. Um, there were a couple of things that I had to consider. Number one, if I got picked and when I got the news that I did get picked, um, I was not going to be a prosecutor anymore. Right. So I walked into the DA at the time was John Healy, walked into his office and I said, Mr. Healy, I just want you to know, um, you know, I'm on the short list. I'm going to be considered to be on this bench in County Court 5 next year. And he said, well, that's great. What are you going to do after that? <laughs> became the question that everybody asked me because they knew when I got appointed and I knew it wasn't going to be forever. Right. It was only going to be on the bench for a year. That was the deal. Another part of the deal was that I had to agree not to run for that bench. Mm. So, um, you know, I agreed to do that. I agreed right. to take the appointment and not run for the position, even though I could have right. um, agreed not to. And so everybody's question, what are you going to do after that? going to do after that and I kept saying I don't know I wasn't expecting this so I feel fairly confident that God would not have given me this opportunity and let me sit on this bench for a year without having something already in store for me I just don't know what that is right now so I took that job knowing that I would not have a job at the end of the year and trusting and stepping out on faith that God would provide for whatever was next um, what I didn't know is that um, one of the judges that was on the bench at the time in 2016, when I was on the bench, um, passed away shortly after that. Mm. So that created a, an open bench. So that meant I didn't have to run against an incumbent. And so when I decided to run in 2018, I ran for the bench that had um, an opening, basically, right. that, that, um, that judge had, had passed away the year mm. before. So all things work together for the yeah. good of the love of the Lord. Yeah. Um, and really did order my steps in that way. And so uh, being appointed, I actually didn't know that I was the first African-American mm. judge when I took the appointment. Right. I actually didn't know until the morning that I was sworn in. Mm. And Commissioner Grady Prestige met me in the hallway. And he said, you know, this is a big deal, right? And I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. This is fun. This is great. I'm, you know, he said, no, you're the first, Tony. And I said, I'm the first what? <laughs> he said, you're the first black female to ever be on a bench in this mm. county. And the weight of that mm. moment, um, I was just, I, I didn't have words, um, which is weird for me because I'm a lawyer. And you know, <laughs> Um, but it was it, the weight of that and the impact of that. Um, I knew then, if I didn't know before, I knew then I had to be the best. All right. The scrutiny was going to be intense. Um, the microscope, if you will, would be huge. And so I knew that I had to do the job to not only to the best of my ability, but to the best of anyone's ability because there were a lot of eyes on me. And so I, I did, I, um, I, I leaned in as they say, everything uh -huh. um, I could possibly learn and tried to do the best job that I could um, as the judge for County Court of Law number five and tried to prepare it um, for the judge that I knew was coming behind me and prepare it and get the staff ready, um, get the court ready. Um, the person that was coming behind me and i and i hope that i did a good job in doing that so so that was the appointed bench and then the elected bench it it was exhausting mm. running a campaign mm. is 
a job in and of itself. Um, so, you know, to have a full-time job and to run a campaign mm-hmm. is exhausting. Um, think about that. The countywide seat. So it wasn't like I could only, you know, for some, some people are running for a region. Some people are running just in their precinct. Um, I was running countywide. And so that meant that I had to campaign across the entire county. And at the time, there were 750,000 people that lived in Fort Bend County. And so trying to reach every person that you could possibly try to reach takes a lot of work, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. Um, I was blessed to have a phenomenal campaign manager in the person of Charles Rencher, who is uh, quietly kept my father. Um, But he is a brilliant mind. And so um, he told me from the very beginning, Tony, you got to have that fire in the belly. If you don't have the fire in the belly, it's not, it's not going to be worth your time. If you don't want this, like you wanted nothing else, then don't do it. Don't, don't even bother. Um, and I was like, well, I got the fire in the belly, but I don't have any money. <laughs> and don't worry about the money. The money will come, but you got to have that fire in the belly. And um, I have three kids. Hmm. And he said, that super mom cape you wearing, you got to take that off because you can't, you just can't do it all. You can't yeah. be at every game. You can't be at every meeting. You can't be the super mom that you have been and run a campaign. And he was right. My kids sacrificed a lot, Um, but that motivated me even more. It was like, if I'm going to miss a basketball game, I better be on this bench. (laughs) I'm going to miss, you know, you know, my daughter cheering, um, then I better win this bench. And so it was, it kind of had that reverse effect where it was like, I got to work really hard, but I'll be doggone if I'm going to lose and then lose twice. So, um, so I worked really, really hard, campaigned really, really hard had a good group. We had a good slate of candidates, Democratic candidates in Fort Bend County and for the 2018 election. And we really just bonded together and we all worked really, really hard um, because nobody thought that we could do it. Fort Bend County was very red and everybody thought, oh, that's cute. Y'all are running as Democrats. Like that's literally the, the response that we got from people was like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Y'all think y'all are going to win. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it just motivated us to work even harder. And um, on election night, we were like, yeah, we, we cute. We cute. <laughs> we cute and we're winners. Yeah. Um, so coming into that bench, coming into this bench in 2018, um, it's a different, it's a different um, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because being appointed, it's like, okay, you know, some people thought that you we're good, they vetted me and they said, okay, you can have this appointment. Being elected, you're accountable to a whole new body of people, not just because you're an elected official and that's your title, but because you know there are people who voted for you, people yeah. who believed in you, who said, you're, you have earned my, ver- my vote. And so I take that very seriously. And um, I, I definitely make sure that every day I show up for work I do my job because um, some people selected me and said, we want you to be our judge in court for, and that means something to me. So that's a long answer to your short question. No, that was a that was a great story. I, I love that answer. I loved how you talk about your time as a law clerk and just learning what what it is to be a judge, training to be a judge, and then you got that motivation and that that's a word you kept using too. your your motivation that was in you but that the opportunity presented itself in 2015 for you and you took that and ran with it you took that around with it and you also talked about your faith also and you're in that red county you won i think like over 53 percent of votes congratulations and i love that you you're continuing to push yourself to succeed as well that's great yeah that's what it's all about i mean i can't um i gotta leave it better than i found it Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel very strongly about that. And so um, the reach and, and the opportunity to reach back into my community um, and to serve the people. I mean, I consider myself a public servant. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, some, one of my line sisters said the other day, oh, we got a politician. I'm like, I, I don't really consider myself a politician. I'm an elected official as an elected official. That makes me a public servant. Right. Chosen by the public to serve. So I take that very seriously, and um, 
I try to focus and concentrate on um, making decisions from the bench that follow the law, obviously, but that also help um, my community because that's who's coming into my courtroom every day is people from the community. Okay. Now, can you talk about what type of cases you work with? Absolutely. Um, so the county courts in Fort Bend um, have general jurisdiction. And so what that means is that we can cover um, lots of different areas of the law. So for the county courts, I do juvenile law, which involves kids from the ages of um, 10 to 17, if they are charged with an offense uh, from the penal code um, or other codes. Um, so their cases are distributed randomly among the six county courts. So I do juvenile law, juvenile criminal law. I do adult criminal law, but only up to the misdemeanor level. So class A, class B misdemeanors, um, which mostly consist of DWIs, low-level assaults, low-level drug possession offenses, and thefts under thousand um, dollars. So you know, not not the major. I'm not dealing with murder cases. I'm not doing the aggravated assaults. Um, I'm not doing the deadly weapon cases. Nothing. None of those sexy, fun cases. Yeah. I'm just dealing with the with the little misdemeanors, which actually can be very complex. Right. Um, but, um, I, I like my misdemeanors. So the most that I can do um, with my misdemeanor cases um, for the adult side is to send someone to jail for up to a year. So no prison time for any of my defense, um, okay. unless they have a felony and that's in the district court, but I don't, I don't issue those sentences. And then I also do probate cases, which is wills, trust cases. Yeah. I also do guardianships, that's all under the probate umbrella. Um, I do um, airship cases, people that die without a will. Um, so the probate docket, I um, have one of those um, once a week. And people think that probate law is kind of boring, but it's actually kind of interesting um, when people are grieving and they are trying to um, handle the affairs of their loved one's estate. Sometimes it gets a little messy. Um, sentimental over some stuff. Yeah, and I can see that. Probate cases are actually some of my most interesting cases. Hmm. And the fourth area, main area that we deal with in the county courts is civil law. So any civil disputes up to $200,000 um, in damages, I deal with those. Um, what that mostly looks like is contract cases um, when you're dealing with contract disputes. Um, I also, a lot of my civil cases are condemnation, eminent domain cases, um, and um, one level of my civil cases are eviction appeals. So if they have, have an eviction case in the lower level court, which is the JP court, and they don't like the outcome in the JP court, they can appeal it to the county court, which is okay. Those are the four main areas. And then also as a side, we also do the mental health commitment cases, um, emergency commitment cases, or when they are trying to issue psychoactive, psychoactive medication, um, those cases, those hearings fall in my court. So never a dull moment, um, always going <laughs> on in the county. Right. I actually enjoy, um, and it just, it keeps me on my, on my toes do a lot of legal research. I'm always trying to make sure um, that I am up in the various areas of the law for that, uh, for the cases that call, fall in my court. Now, now talking about that, how do you, how do you do that? What resources are you using to make sure that you're, you're up to speed on everything that's going on? Well, you know, as a judge, you know, I can just tell the lawyers, hey, y'all bring me some briefs on this. You know, y'all, y'all educate me on the points of law that you want me to know about so so I can make a ruling on your case, right? Um, I can always get away with that, but um, I don't like to only rely on the lawyers. So um, I do a lot of my own kind of independent research and um, I use a lot of online um, okay. Westlaw, my friend. I was actually on a call with the Westlaw reps um, for my account like two weeks ago. Cause I was like, hey, I don't think I have the latest um, I want the latest. So um, getting all of that online legal research, um, I do a lot of that. And I got a lot of books <laughs> in my office that I refer to. Um, there's a lot of resources out there for lawyers. 
so that you are always up to speed on what the latest law um, is. And so I just, I use a lot of that just to make sure I know the basics. Um, I know the code uh, for any particular issue. And then I do rely on the attorneys to highlight the portions that they feel like are relevant for their case. Okay. And this might be a question that's kind of out there, but everything is just digital. So is anything, any of these books, digital or audio that you can yeah, use? Yeah, I, I think they are, you know, I'm kind of old school though. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have the, the, the book in my hand. Yep. Um, now there is the Texas Center for the Judiciary um, issues, what's called a bench book. Mm-hmm. And that's for every, um, for every judge, it's a bench book. And so I actually have the physical bench book on my bench, mm-hmm. but what it really convenient is that it is also electronic. And so for example, um, I can, um, I had to do a, a hearing um, this week yeah. while I was on vacation and I didn't have my bench book in front of me, but I was able to log on to the TCJ website and get access to my bench book so that I had the information that I needed um, at my fingertips or on my on my iPad, um, so that I could conduct that hearing and do it properly, um, so that I was following um, all of the protocol that we have to follow for certain hearings. Nice technology is making things easier. So. It is. <laughs> so can we can you talk about a typical day of yours? What it looks like? Oh, it depends <laughs> on what day of the week it is. Okay. <laughs> um, my Mondays are really busy because I have juvenile dockets in the morning and I have probate dockets in the afternoon. Mm. So, um, and when I talk about a docket, a docket is basically um, a collaboration of all of a certain number of cases um, that I'm going to be hearing for that day. And a docket can look like a lot of different things. I have what's called a status docket. And that is, you know, certain cases that I'm tracking over maybe every um, six months maybe every 90 days they'll show up on my status docket just so I can keep tabs on what's going on with the case Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't like for it to to um, do what's called falling off my docket or slipping between the cracks and I look up and it's been a year and I'm like we still don't know what's going on with that case we need to do some follow-up so I've created some status dockets for various um, areas in my court so that we can keep tabs on certain cases. I have okay. a juvenile status docket that I can place juveniles on just to make sure they're on track with their probation or make sure um, that the attorneys stay on track and disposing of the cases in a timely manner. Um, then I also can have what's called a disposition docket. And that is exactly what it sounds like. We're disposing of a case, whatever that looks like. Sometimes my disposition docket looks like a submission docket because um, if the case has been on my, um, in my caseload for a while and nothing's happening on it, then by submission, I will um, make a decision or make a ruling on um, a case. Okay. Sometimes the disposition docket looks like pleas, which are being held um, for mostly for my criminal cases so that they are disposing of the case or they resolve the case and they have decided to not go to trial. Um, and they're, the, the defendant is going to take a plea, whatever that looks like, whatever the, the state and the defense attorney have worked out. Um, and then for my juvenile dispositions, it's the same thing. The juvenile mm-hmm. is making some type of offer that the state has made um, to dispose of their case. So that's, that's what I mean when I'm talking about dockets. Dockets right. can look at a number of cases, and we're just handling them in a certain way. Um, so I can have a big docket. Um, sometimes my dockets have been anywhere from 30 to 60 to 75 cases on a docket. And that's for that day? Yes. In one wow. Day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's my criminal cases. Those are, um, they generally are really big dockets. Um, or they can be. I've tried to minimize them and make them smaller, especially because we are no longer um, doing them in the courtroom anymore. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and sometimes the dockets are small. My probate dockets can be anywhere from five to 10 on a docket. And that's because those take a little bit longer to kind of work through. And so I don't want to do, try to do, you know, 30 of those in a day because we would be there all day. Right. Right. Wow. So, so any given day, depending on how many dockets I have or 
how many are on that docket. Yeah. Um, I'll be in docket. And then that's on the bench. Yeah. Um, and then behind the scenes, when I get off the bench, um, I have lots of things to review. So I'm either reviewing cases because I'm preparing for a hearing that may be coming up week or maybe in a couple of weeks if it's a big case. Um, I have documents that I have to sign off on, um, which could be anything from paying my court appointed attorneys um, to signing off on dismissals to signing um, orders that have been filed by different attorneys to deal with um, different uh, elements of their case. So I spend a, a certain amount of time during the day signing those. And I do, I sign all of those electronically because we have them loaded into my system where I don't have to physically sign the paper, which is really nice. I can get through them faster. Do that. And then I'm also just reviewing files. And um, then I'm actually also answering emails. Um, I am the administrative judge for all of the county courts. So I'm the administrative judge over six of the county courts in Fort Bend County. Um, and that just looks like whatever you would think an administrative judge would be doing. I deal with clerk's office. I deal with um, the DA's office. Um, I deal with the county attorney's office if we're asking them to um, do some things for us. So administrative duties that I have um, as the administrative judge, I'm also dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. So any given day, I could be doing any number of those things. That is a lot. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so now with that, talking about all that you do based on that and based on some other things that you've said, as far as skill sets, you, you definitely have to have the knowledge of, of law and your experience at your communication skills. Uh, you mentioned you're having that, especially for a, an elected official, your motivation and that fire in the belly, and then just multitasking all the different things that you're having to do. And uh, so what, to you, what type of skills and characteristics do you think are most important to be successful in your line of field? Oh, wow. So a lot of people talk about the temperament of mm. a judge. Um, you got to pack your patience. <laughs> um, but I think there's more to it than just, you know, having a good temperament or keeled or whatever terminology. Um, I think you also need to have a love of the law um, because that's going to be what motivates you to want to learn more. Um, and in learning more, you're able to make better decisions. Um, there's a lot of, you know, to go back to the first question that you asked me, what do I do in a day? Mm -hmm. uh, before I walk in my office, I've gotten, you know, five texts and six emails asking me, judge, what do you want to do about this? So the number of decisions I have to make in a day as a judge is, it's mind blowing. And, and you really don't appreciate how much you're making decisions as a judge until you become one. And it's like, okay, wow, y'all want my decision about that too? I got to answer that question too. Like there's a lot. So um, that's not something to be taken lightly. You can't just, you know, you can't just randomly decide things. You, you need to have a base, a knowledge base. So that love of the law will really guide you in uh, making decisions that are the best um, for that particular set of circumstances, whatever yeah. that looks like. So that temperament will only get you so far, but you've also got to have that base knowledge um, and that love of learning because it's something new every day. There's something different that you have to consider every day. And so um, if you are not willing to learn more and expand your mind um it becomes it becomes more of a challenge than i think is is necessary so just being able to to continue to learn of that have that love of learning i think is is a huge factor in a good judge yeah that's interesting there's other jobs out there where i think you know, there's answers there for you but this you're you're saying that a lot of times it might be the first time this ever happened. You have to just be able to go out there, research, and try to figure out what's the best right. decision to make. Okay. Yeah. Right. And there's what they call legal precedent. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there there is legal precedent for certain, for certain issues. You know, if you're dealing with, you know, I'll, the easiest one I can think of is like a motion for summary judgment, which is mm -hmm. what you're doing within a civil case. 
basically they're asking you, you know, by law, I win. So I want you to rule in my favor. Um, but there are precedent, there's precedent that's set that, that says if they check these boxes, then by law or based on what the other decisions that other, other judges have made in the past under a set of similar circumstances, this should be the outcome. And that's easy. You know, it's like, check the boxes. Okay, yeah. great. You know, the lawyers that seen in front of me, they're like, judges, judge, the, these are the boxes we check. And in this case from 19 blah, 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 or 20 blah, 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 same set of circumstances happen. The judges ruled in this way and the court of appeals said that that was the right decision. So that's the decision that you should make right now. That's pretty straightforward. Right. Um, but it's not always that easy. And there are usually other factors that you have to consider. And so sometimes legal precedent doesn't really help you um, to make that final decision. It will kind of help guide you towards the decision that you're eventually going to make. Um, so anyway, the legal precedent may already be there, but um, sometimes there are other circumstances and factors that you have to consider. So Got it. All right. Now, one surprise you said you had was all the decisions that you needed to make. Now, were there any surprises to you coming into this or even things that maybe you know, but you think are misconceptions or things that people don't really know what goes on with judges? Oh, surprise. <laughs> Misconceptions. Um, you know, I think that um, people may think um, that being a judge is easy. Like it's just, you know, she's up there with that robe on and she just gets the rule and, um, you know, tell people. My kids ask me all the time, Mom, who'd you send to jail today? Who'd you send to jail today? I'm like, I don't send people to jail. People make choices and decisions, and sometimes the consequence of that decision is that they need to spend a little bit of time in a county jail, but I don't make that decision for them. I just issue out the consequence right. um, for that decision. Um, but that, even in that, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I say that jokingly, um, but that's a really difficult decision to make. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think people really um, understand or appreciate. When I say appreciate, I don't mean it in the in the literal sense. I mean it just yeah. from, from a, a a depth of understanding of the impact of making those decisions as a judge. I don't take them lightly. Um, if if I've got a person sitting in front of me who has you know made decisions, maybe they've been in violation of the code. Uh, maybe I've got a kid in front of me who. Um, has been doing some stuff he's not supposed to be doing on probation. And I have a choice. I can detain them. I can take them into custody or I can give them another chance. Um, so I'm not quick to say, oh, you're going to jail today. Oh, you're going, you're going to the juvenile detention center today. Um, that's difficult for me because you're taking away somebody's liberty. If I'm sending somebody to jail, even if it's for a weekend because they violated the terms of their probation, um, I have to consider, does this woman have a job? Because if I send her to jail, even for the weekend, and she doesn't show up for work, now she may lose her job, which may cause her to be in a worse position than she was before she violated this probation. And so she that may lead her to make more violations right. at probation. That's not something that I take lightly. And so um, it is not always a simple um, an easy task. There's a lot of things that I have to consider and a lot of things that worry me that, that I have, that I'm concerned about. Um, and so I think people don't really understand how impactful that is and what judges have to consider. Uh, another, um, example of that is when I have eviction appeals, especially in this COVID time. Yeah. Um, where I have to make a decision whether somebody's gonna have to leave their house, their home, their apartment. Um, I don't take those decisions lightly and it's not an easy decision to make. Um, It's helpful that I have the law to support the decision I make. So legally, I can be right in making that decision, Uh, but morally or ethically, um, that may be more of a struggle. Now, when you make those tough decisions, are you able to, once you get off work, you go home, able to just turn it off? 
or <laughs> or is that is that difficult? Oh, if you know me well, you know <laughs> don't I I can't just turn it off. Um, it, it just doesn't work. I'm just not I'm not wired that way. Mm. Um, which you know it can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, particularly for my juvenile cases, I am also the um, presiding judge over a program in Fort Bend County called the Girls Court. Mm. And um, what that means is that there are juvenile girls who are already on probation and they have been identified um, through an assessment as either having been um, a victim of human trafficking mm. or they're at risk for being a victim of human trafficking. And so we pull those girls out and we identify them through that assessment and then we pull them out and we meet with them separately. We have girls court once a month, they get different services, they get different counseling, they get different resources um, and we spend a lot more time with those girls. Um, and so those are my babies. I mm. mean, my, my juveniles are my babies, but my girls court girls, those are my babies. Yeah. I, I, I don't turn it off. Um, I think about them. I pray for them constantly. I'm constantly in contact with my probation officer who is assigned to those girls because I'm checking up on them. What's going on? How's she doing? She, you know, she got to go home last week. So how is she doing now? You know, how's she doing with mom? What's going on in their house? I mean, it's a constant, um, it's, it's a constant for me. Yeah. Um, not just my girls in girls court. You know, I worry about the defendants that come through my court. I call my probation officers and I check on people. Mm -hmm. I send emails, um, you know, what happened with so-and-so that was in my court. I'm just making sure, you know, did he show up for what he was supposed to do? Did he do this? Did he do that? So um, I can't, I can't turn it off. Um, <laughs> I try, <laughs> but, um, but I can't, unfortunately. Um, so it's not, yeah. but it's not always a bad thing. Right. You know? no, no, definitely. When you talk about the girls court, you could definitely see your passion for it. And I, I guess that, that leads me into my next question. What do you love about what you do? Um, wow, that's a great question. Um, there's probably not just one thing. Um, but the thing that I guess I would say I love the most is being able to really make a difference in people's lives. And I know that to sometimes to some people that sounds very cliche or it sounds, um, I don't know, kind of vague, but it really, it looks different. Um, depending on what day of the week it is and what case is in front of me. So for a probate case, being able to make a difference in somebody's life may mean being able to give that husband or wife or daughter or son closure um, because their, their loved one has died. And typically when they show up in my court to probate that will, that's the last thing that they're doing. They've gone to a memorial service They've, you know, they've heard all the eulogies, they've buried their loved one, they've, you know, they've done all the other steps. And when they come to my court and I probate that, that is the last thing because now I'm giving them the documents so they can go and close out bank accounts, so they can go and take care of property. Um, so that's that closure. And so if I'm rushing through and I'm like, okay, what's next? Okay, let's get it done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to probate your dad's will and bye. Have a good day. That's not, to me, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like how you should close out your loved one's life. And so I take my time with those cases and I try to be personable and engage them in conversation or at least tell them I'm very sorry for your loss, you know? So that matters. And, and I love being able to give people that closure in a probate case. It may look like for a guardianship, if you are, your you know, special needs child is now turning 18 or 19 and you have to become their guardian, which basically means they don't get to make decisions on their own anymore. And so you're coming to the court to say, I need to be able to open a bank account or help my son do, um, you know, certain things as an adult. That's not something that you want somebody to, to just be nonchalant about. That's a big deal. Right. So I try to acknowledge for those parents, thank you for doing the job that you've done 
for the past 18 years and taking care of this child and now doing the next step, which is trying to help them become, you know, a productive adult. That matters. So um, being able to make a difference in people's lives as a judge looks differently for different cases, um, but it but it's huge to me and so I try to be very intentional in how I treat um, every case that comes across my bench and not just make people feel like, oh, well, you're just here just to get something done and I'm not really paying attention to you. I try to be very people know what happens to you right now in this case, it matters to me. So I'm going to show you how that matters to me. Right. Well, I love the uh, empathy and the uh, passion that you that you have. You know, what about the flip side, though? What, what type of challenges do you see out there? What uh-huh. obstacles do you have? <laughs> so our biggest challenge lately has been with um, the coronavirus. I mean, we shut our courts down um, mid-March. Yeah. And then shortly after that, we were on shelter in place in Fort Bend County, which meant we nobody could go anywhere. Um, but at a, about early April, you know, I was like, wait a minute we can't, the courts can't just stop. The business of the courts can't just stop. We've got people, we've got adults in custody waiting on their cases to get resolved. I've got kids in detention waiting on their cases to get resolved. We can continue the business of the court without physically being in the courtrooms. And so um, we did. We, um, the Office of Court Administration bought a Zoom license for every single judge in the state of Texas. And um, I told, you know, all of, encourage all the judges in the county courts, get your Zoom license, get signed up, and let's get started. Let's get busy. Let's, let's get these Zoom hearings scheduled um, and get done what we need to get done. So we had to create um, a whole new way of holding court virtually um, from scratch. And that has been definitely the biggest challenge thus far. Um, we had to figure out how to do our magistrate hearings, which is, you know, magistrate hearings are held every day by law. They're required to be held. And so we had to figure out a way to hold a magistrate hearing in the jail without exposing our associate judges to whomever was coming through the jail and whatever coronavirus precautions that we had to take. So that has been the biggest challenge thus far is how to create a virtual courtroom and conduct the business of the court virtually. Um, we've done a pretty good job of, of, of adapting, I think. We are now into August um, and we have been on Zoom um, since April. I've done um, juvenile court. I've done my girls court by Zoom. We've done probate dockets. I've done eviction appeal. I've done every, every type of case that I can do um, by Zoom, I have done, with the exception of a jury trial, because we are not allowed to do those um, by Zoom, and I don't want to do a jury trial by right. Zoom because that's very challenging. That's yeah. very, that's difficult. I mean, just jury selection alone is um, yeah. it's way very, very complex, and so to, to do that by Zoom, um, we won't we won't be able to do that. But um, so not 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 having people in the court has been um, probably the hardest thing, but we've been able to adapt and, and try to get it done efficiently. Oh, that's great. That's exactly what I was going to say. You've, uh, it seems like you've adapted well to it. So good luck going forward with all these challenges uh, that this is creating. So can you talk about your most memorable moment? Oh, <laughs> um, I have a lot. The one that stands out the most for me is, um, when I'm dealing with my juveniles, they just have a, per, a, a special place in my heart. Um, but the ones that, that get it, the ones that I see um, who really are trying um, and really want to do better, um, you know, they, they say, when you know better, you do better. And yeah. so I change every single one of my juveniles um, to just to do better, you know, yeah. tap into the support system that you have, whether it's your parents, whether it's your probation officer, whether it's your counselor, whomever that person is, tap into that resource um, because they want you to do better. And all you got to do is reach out 
um, and take the first step and you will have so much help um, to help you finish that goal. So I always encourage my juveniles to pick a goal, um, set a goal and, and accomplish that goal. And the most rewarding uh, moments that I've had if when those kids actually accomplish something. Yeah. I, I text yesterday of one of my kids who was taking, getting ready for his GED exams. Um, and he, his probation officer sent me a text with a picture of his GED because um, he passed. And he was like, judge, just wanted you to know he passed. And so, you know, I did my happy dance and sent the <laughs> I was like, tell him, I said, congratulations, that's awesome. Because kids can accomplish a lot more um, if you just give them that standard and tell them, I believe in you, I'm confident that you can do this. And then go out and send them um, with the expectation that they're going to succeed. And, and they will. Every time, they will. Yeah, The they, ones that right. want. Yeah. True, very true. But that's good. I, I love hearing that. All right, so we're at the end of this interview. I want to get to these um, quick hitter questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before okay. we before we do that, though, is there anything additional that you want to say or anything you think I might have left out asking? Um, no, I mean, I think you covered it. I, I get long answers to short questions. So, um, you know, <laughs> I usually try to, you know, cover it all. Yeah. Um, but there's not really... You know, the, the biggest, I guess there is one thing. Um, and that would be to talk about my staff because I could not do what I do without the help of every single member of my staff. So I will give them all their um, their credit where credit is due. Jenica Salazar is my court coordinator. She is phenomenal. She's actually been um, the court coordinator for court four for, for I think 17 years now. Wow. And when I started, she was like, please tell me, you know, the, the thing when you, when the new judge comes in is, are, is everybody going to keep their job? Are they going to get rid of everybody? They're going to start new. I told her, I was like, you have probably forgotten more about this court than I know at this point. So you're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, and she was like, I'm so grateful that you kept me on. I was like, no, I'm grateful that you stayed because uh, a knowledgeable court coordinator um, is, is like gold. And so she does a really, really good job um, in just keeping the court running. Um, and she knows how to do it and she does it really well. Kath Edwards is my probate auditor. So when I talk about my probate cases, um, I can't possibly know what's going on in all of them all the time. And so Kathy does a really good job of, she is my frontline, she's my frontline defense on my probate cases. She reviews all of them before they even hit my desk. So she she can identify the trouble spots before I get to them. And so she helps me to do that. Um, Tamara Black is my administrative clerk and she helps Kathy as well. So they both are um, my dynamic duo for my probate cases. Tiffany Newell is my court reporter. She is amazing. She has adapted as well in this virtual courtroom. Um, I can text her and say, Tiffany, I need you to log on to this Zoom because we need a record. And she does it. Like in five minutes, she's on, um, ready to go, um, no matter where she is. And so she's been amazing. And my main man is my bailiff. And that is Corey Sweeney. He is on loan to us from the Fort Bend County Nurse Office. Um, but he's the best bailiff I, I know. And he is always ready um, to provide safety and security in my courtroom which is the most that you could ask for. So I could not do what I do as a judge without the help of a staff that is fully engaged and committed um, to helping me achieve success as a judge. And that makes a huge difference. Mm. So they're, um, they're my dream team. That's my court, five, my, my court four dream team. That's good. Giving kudos where it's uh, due and, and talking about your staff. It's awesome. All right. So let's get to these uh, quick hitter questions. Okay. So first question, what's your favorite sports team? Come on, <laughs> the Longhorns. All right, hook them. <laughs> hook them. Second, favorite movie or show? Ooh, my favorite movie. You know, lawyers are always complicated. It depends on the genre. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> favorite movie of all time have to be the whiz okay yeah yep yeah. and then i have a question for you on this is there any 
movie or show that deals with law that you think they got it right? They did their homework. They did their research. They got it right. Um, like Law and Order or any of those shows? So if you sit in the living room with me and my <laughs> kids, when I'm watching any law show or movie, my kids will tell you, my mama going to tell you when they're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> so it's not realistic. Like the TV shows, you don't resolve issues in 30 minutes. Some of these cases take years. Mm. Um, and the, and the, the issues in those legal shows, sometimes they're very complex. It's not like just so cut and dry. So they take a lot of shortcuts and they do a lot of poetic license that I don't agree with. <laughs> so I don't really think there is one that gets it right. I do like All Rise. Okay. Um, because of, you know, the strong female lead. Um, I think she's actually a very interesting judge. She she thinks outside the box. Yeah. I like kind of her approach yeah. to some of her cases. Um, but the reality of the I'm like, you can't do that in court. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot say that. You can't you know, so I like her approach, but um, but some of her stuff I'm just like that that doesn't happen in real life. And I tell my juries that. Mm. That's one of the things that I tell my juries when we you have jury trials. Um, I tell my juries, you know, there's some really complex issues. We will not be resolving this in 30 days, you know, in 30 minutes or right. an hour. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that, like in the movies or what you see on TV. Um, it's a lot more complex. So I don't right. think that actually get it right. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> favorite <laughs> musical artist, uh, sorry, <laughs> favorite musical artist or group? Um... Again, it depends on the genre. <laughs> um, the one, if you put on any song by this artist, I will listen to it is Michael Jackson. Yep. All right. Good answer. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm an 80s baby. So, you know, I'm conflicted in my loyalties there. Oh, my favorite concerts. Uh, uh, well, one of my favorite concerts. Uh, favorite vacation spot. Oh, any all-inclusive resort, because that means I don't have to cook or think about it. Yep. And talking about cook, favorite food or drink? <laughs> oh, my favorite food to eat is queso. Okay. But if you ask my family um, to, for something that they want me to cook, it's going to be lasagna, because I make really good lasagna. All right. Good to know. All right. Well... Hey, Tony, this is great. I really love the difference that you're making in people's lives, especially the juveniles and the, and the girls that you work with. Love the empathy and passion that you show, like I said before. And I think you're, you're such a great role model for everyone. So thank you for all that you do and keep doing everything that you're doing. And thank you. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to share with others um, what judges do. Yep. Great. Well, have a good one. All right. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.